Why this fool got more comics than a motherfucker? Hello and welcome to MCMF. My name is Marcus, Mr. Summers, if you're nasty. Uh, this is the podcast where I try to get my friends into comic books by making them read, or I try to get you, dear listener, into comic books by making my friends read comic books. I've been doing that intro for two weeks and I fucked it up already. Well, it's a great start. Uh, <laughs> I could re-record this, but fuck it. We'll do it live. We'll do it uh, live. We're back with Jake, uh, who you may remember from the Judas Contract episode. Uh, Jake, how are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm great. I had a really good time with that one, uh, partially because I had already read the Judas Contract, so it wasn't really that hard. And I just decided we should do this one because yeah, I have read it so many times. Yeah, I gotta come up with something fucking out of left field that you've never actually not that you never read. I just came up with one on the spot. We should do sex criminals next time. Well, I've I have read yeah, so yeah. much of it. <laughs> that book rules. I am so down. Um, it has to happen now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but we are doing Punisher Max Born, uh, by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson. This is so as a quick. As a uh, you know, a quick intro for this, um, the Marvel Max comics were uh, what years were these coming out? Like two thousand three, two thousand four. Yeah, this was like the edgy, just after nine eleven. Like it's sort of like our generation or a little older than us, uh, Watergate, where it was like, hey, maybe everything sucks, maybe right? Everything like sucks. It, maybe everything now in our media should reflect that. Yeah, like, you go back to the early 70s, I think this is actually pretty instructive, but and not the early 70s, but if you go back and look at, like, film or any sort of media from the 70s, and then even before that, you go back to uh, post-World War One or even right now, in our current era, yeah. there's always these times where something shakes people's trust in institutions and shakes people's understanding of reality. Uh, and this was a pretty perfect encapsulation of like just after 9-11, I think. And it makes sense because it's, it's going back to the Vietnam War, which right. is a big part of the reason why the 70s, we had the same feeling. Yeah. And it's funny because this story, you couldn't write this story now, not because of anything culturally like a, like some people, a lot of people will say things like, uh, you can't do a you can't do these things now because people are too sensitive people you can't do this story now because it doesn't make any fucking sense now the woke mob will come for the, you the woke mob is trying to cancel the punisher it's like <laughs> oh man that hurt me that physically pained <laughs> oh, me because you know that's a, that's a real sense that someone has said and meant uh yes. i work, used to work with a guy who definitely said that, that like, is... i never heard him say it but i know he did just um, depressing because you know, white guy who totally misunderstands the Punisher? That's that dude. Yeah, I know, I've i met many of those people. Yeah. I stay very far away from them. I know some cops. Yes. Not well, but I'm aware of them. You, I know of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, like, I feel like this is kind of like a quintessential 
punish your story. You couldn't make this story now because it doesn't make any sense now. Because even for 2003, Frank Castle being a Vietnam War vet didn't make that much sense. Because mm-hmm. Frank mm-hmm. looks to be maybe in his late 30s. Really? Um, See, I, I, you know, I but think like, that... I mean, like, in Civil War, like, uh, in stuff that's coming out uh, in oh. the, around the time, Frank looks like he's maybe, at most, 40, you know? Yeah. And so for him to be a veteran of the Vietnam War... Well, you see, I think that's that's interesting because you just gave me a thought, right? And I'm not getting off base here. This is actually pretty relevant, I promise you. Um, so, I, if anything, I think that you could make this story now conceptually because I think that we are still in an era, and maybe it's only fairly recently where we've come to come to this consensus, that our wars abroad are meaningless. Yes. Right. And that's so, really what this story is about. Exactly. And that, you know, there's there it explicitly mentions at points how we are not sure how to handle with the people that we create with the wars that we start. Right. You know. And and it also makes sense cuz this came out in 2003, which was the the beginning of the Iraq War if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And the the irony here is that I think if you were trying to write this kind of story now, it would be about the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. It would have to be. And and Frank would have to be one of those operators with the Viking beards and, like, you know, tomahawk uh, stuff, regalia on his, his outfit. He would be the guy that every dude who wears a Punisher shirt now wishes Thanks, they yes. were. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that's really compelling to think about because, you know, what we saw from these Vietnam War vets who fell in love with war, like Frank... Um, are those guys i mean you know you read these stories these horror stories of what it's like for these spec ops guys which are really the only on the ground troops that we really have anymore that aren't contractors um and you read some of the horrific things that they have gone through and the things that they do and the things that they can never get over um and they just fall in love with death you know and and that is frank that is the i think only two people I think I've really ever gotten Frank, um, at least on that level, and that's Gary Conway uh, when he first created uh, when he first created Frank, and mm-hmm. Garth Ennis here. Yeah, um, yeah, and it makes sense. It would be Garth, really. Yeah. I'm a big fan of his stuff. I think that a lot of it is a little hack. I mean, and I mean that gently because I mean, gosh, just read Punisher or something it's, it's, or Preacher. It's comic books. It's all inherently kind of hacky. Yeah. Um, but that sort of maximalist style, that sort of over-the-top uh, style, really works for something like The Punisher because there really is no depth of depravity that is absurd because the character is really grounded if you write him correctly. Yeah, and this story, uh, just to kind of tie back to the Max stuff, is that Marvel Max was... Because uh, I, I think it was more than just Punisher Max. I think there was a Nick Fury Max series. Yes. Um, While you're you're talking about that, I'm going to actually look that up. Uh, um, it's all just supposed to be the grim and gritty, kind of hardcore, intense shit that you couldn't get in a normal Marvel comic. It's a lot like what DC's doing now with the Black Label stuff. Uh, <laughs> except with the DC Black Label, it's somebody drew Batman's dick, and now we have to edit it out. <laughs> 
I mean, that's what we've, we're all here for, to be honest. Um, <laughs> clearly, that's what we... Yeah, it looks like Marvel Max. There was Shang-Chi, which is surprising to me. I really want to read that. Uh, yeah, um, I'm into that. Holy shit. Yeah, there's some X-Men stuff, Wolverine, uh, Thor. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it is sort of like off the map, like off the, the normal stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, but they did write Deadpool, uh, obviously Deadpool. Yeah. Um, you know, but well, yeah, like, like a lot of, of course. Blade, Black yeah. Widow, like a lot of those characters that are a little bit more grounded, not necessarily in reality, but they're more human in a lot of ways. Yeah, if that and makes also sense. they're more metal. They are metal, more metal. I mean, that's you're right. Like at the core of things, they're they're very it's, metal. Hey, this is the character we can draw ripping somebody's guts out, you know? Yeah. Whereas, you know, I think that a lot of people think of Frank as like five finger death punch metal, but he's absolutely no, not that Frank, kind of thing. Frank is Frank is uh Metallica's one. Like the person. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And and I think a lot of people miss that entirely. Um, but yeah, you're right. Ennis nailed it. He got exactly what we were looking for. If you're looking for an actually really good Punisher story. And I always tell people that if you want to understand the Punisher and not the pop culture Punisher that we know now, you should read the first four issues of the Max run. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. And it's funny because this came out... I want to say a year before that movie with Thomas Jane comes out. That sounds and about right. As much as, like, I, looking back, I remember one of the criticisms I heard, uh, like, as a teenager of that movie was that uh, Frank, he looks too nice. Like, Thomas Jane comes off way too polite to be Frank. I can uh, see that. I mean, Thomas Jane is a handsome, charming man, yeah. but... I could see Frank as handsome, not charming, but yeah. handsome. Yeah, that's the thing, is that Thomas Jane's Punisher is such a... It's funny that this and that came out like within so much time of each other, because this Frank is kind of evil, kind of very like fucked up, and mm-hmm. Thomas Jane's Punisher, you know, FBI agent that he is, is really just like... I miss my family. I got to kill everybody responsible for the deaths of my family. He's kind of right. single-minded in that goal. Frank here loves death. And it's important to remember that this story is canon. Uh, because right. um, like Iron Man references it during Civil War. Mm-hmm. Like Iron Man, See, I didn't know that. Yeah, he calls Frank the, one, the lone survivor of Fire, Val- uh, Fire Valley Forge Base. Yeah, um, and Valley Forge Firebase. Yeah, yeah, Fire Valley Forge Firebase. Um, he, he, so this is canon. All of the things that Frank does here are things that he has done, and you got to remember carrying forward with that character. Mm-hmm. And when you think of like the the two live action, well, it's two, there are three <laughs> live action versions of Frank. There's Thomas Jane, uh, John Bernthal, and of course. Who could forget Dolph Lundgren? Perfect. Perfection. Perfection. Now, I, w- I do want to circle back briefly to what you were saying about Thomas Jane, because that, that really ties into the opening of this story, I think. Uh, and really the whole thing, I guess. 
But there is this sort of understanding, going back to the beginning of The Punisher, that the motivation for him doing the things he does and being the person that he is as the Punisher, right, right. is that it was his family, that his family dying changed everything. And I think what Ennis did so well here, and I'd, I'm not well-versed enough in The Punisher to tell you this, but I feel like this was one of the first times where it really became accepted that Frank is not the Punisher because of his family dying. Frank was always kind of the Punisher. It was always in him. Yeah. Um, and that really being in the Vietnam War awoke something in him that he could no longer control when he got back. And I think right. he was just looking for an excuse. That's, that is kind of the thing that I kept thinking this whole time reading it. Um, and we'll, we'll jump in in a sec. Um, Frank was always going to turn into this person. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 again, it's funny that, uh, that you know he has become a, a symbol for cops because... If he hadn't been a soldier, he would have been a cop, and he would have mm-hmm. just turned into this. Um, yeah, he he has this darkness in him, and that darkness talks back at him. And I want to get into that when we finish this because I have thoughts about that. Um, but there's uh, moments in this story where there's a black narration box t- uh, that's talking in Frank's mind, and it's like, "What is? What the fuck is that? Who is that?" Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so we'll we'll start this off. First few pages, nobody talks. There is a a plane comes down and crashes. Uh, we are uh, we are introduced to our point of view character, a man by the name of Stevie Goodwin. Mm-hmm. Stevie Goodwin is fucking doomed. <laughs> Stevie Goodwin is doomed because if I'm not mistaken, the first line that is actually written here in the narration box is Stevie saying, I will not die. I will not die in Vietnam. (laughs) Yeah. And if you ever want to know somebody is fucked, that's how you know. Oh, the whole time I feel like, you you know, in black dynamite where they're, they go up to the war and the dude's just talking about his wife and kids back home and black dynamite just keeps looking at him. He's like, Instantly dies. Yeah, yes. he's like, fuck, finally. I mean, whoa, is anybody surprised with that? <laughs> because, like, he is. He's so. He's got this thousand yard stare. He's like, I will not. I will not die in Vietnam. My name is Stevie Goodwin, and I am so short I can taste it. I'm down to 39 days and a wake up. And on that magic day, I will step aboard the big freedom bird and leave this place behind forever. No, you won't. No, you will not. You will not. You absolutely will not. I, I can tell already. You jinxed yourself, man. You, you should have you, just not said anything at all. It's like talking about a perfect game. You don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. You're like, wow, he's really good. Wow, he's nine and two thirds. He's got to get one more pitch. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. You're going to ruin it. And that's, See, that's exactly why what Stevie does here. As, as a, a fan of combat sports, as a man who loves his boxing and his MMA and everything... You never, ever pick the guy that you want to win. You sadness hedge. This man should have sadness hedged, all right? Just pick against what you hope will happen. Yes, because that way, if you're wrong, you're right. If you Look, if you're wrong, you're pleasantly surprised. And if you're right, oh, well, I told you. I'm not disappointed. Exactly. Uh, he says it like three more times, too. He's like, I will not. I mean, and look, 
All credit to Garth Ennis, because this shit is this narration is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is some of the best. Like, comic books are such a good medium for like prose, and I wish more writers did this. Like Nicieza does it, um, Hickman does it, Ennis does mm-hmm. it. It's like we could just use you know talk and thought bubbles and all that, or I could write this like it's a fucking book. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was always the appeal of something like Arkham Asylum, which a lot of the work got done in that. Uh, if you read the original story treatments, it was written like a book, you know, and th- this is sort of a similar way because you start off with this character, you kind of know where it's going, um, but it's not a matter of knowing where it's going. It's a matter of getting into who this character is. Right. And they established that so early because Stevie is one of the very few people who exhibits any concern about what he's doing. Not because he believes in the war, though. Yeah, because he's like... He, the, the interesting thing about Stevie is he's one of the only people here that gives a shit about other people. Yeah, and that's that's what it is. He actually cares about another human being, uh, and I do think it's telling not a single person in this story from the beginning actually believes in the war. Yes. And I think that means a lot. It's... It is a stark reminder of like, oh, right, we used to draft people to go to the fucking war. Stevie didn't sign up for this. Stevie got sent here. Right. Because he's a man of age. Right. And while Frank didn't get sent here, or didn't get, like, didn't pick to be here, Frank is choosing to stay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Frank is choosing to stay. It's on his third tour. He used to be, and it's established that he was... uh, basically an assassin right Mm -hmm. that he was sent on covert ops he was he was sent in uh to do wet work for intelligence agencies this is the guy who is doing the most dirt you could possibly do and it's established as well that he basically was either chosen or chose himself to be a captain with this totally messed up unit because it is at the end of the war yeah, right, like and the total tail end of the war. Uh, it comes right. up like two or three times where people are like, "Hey, we just shut this fucking base down." And Frank's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! You being kind of hasty there, don't you think? What, what do you mean? You're mm-hmm. gonna shut the base down?" Mm-hmm. Because Frank, and I, I do want to want to get into this a bit because in the beginning, again, we're establishing who Stevie is, obviously, but we're establishing who Stevie is so we can establish who Frank is. Because they, Ennis correctly identifies the fact that understanding Frank is more interesting if you understand Frank from somebody else's point of view. Right, and that's really what's fascinating about this, is that we get very few looks at Frank from Frank's own perspective. Everything we see about Frank, every thought we get about Frank, is through Stevie. Yeah. At least until the very end. At least until the very, the very end. Um, but... Yeah, we get some more pages of just just Frank, uh, you know, Stevie talking about Frank. Talking about everything that Frank, you know, Frank is the one guy that we can count on. None of us have, every one of us that goes out with him makes it back. Uh, and, again, you're just just dooming yourself, man. Yeah, and, and it's established that they have not lost a single person while under Frank's command. And it really makes me question 
And again, this is so helpful that Ennis puts us in the perspective of Stevie instead of Frank. Right. Because it's left kind of open-ended for a long time what Frank's motivation is. Um, yeah. I think the first time we really get a glimpse of that, sorry to cut you off there, but like there, no. there's a bit later on, I think in this first issue, where it's like, oh, Frank is... What the fuck? What's his yeah. problem? Yeah, because there's a certain fear that Stevie feels for Frank. And he right. seems to be the only one that recognizes, and I think he even says it, that Frank's in love with war. That Frank is here because this is his element. This is what yes. he's good at. This is what he wants to be doing. Right. And, uh, like, Frank, uh, also, it, you get the impression from Stevie that the men feel like Frank is... Frank protects them because he... You know, they get back because of Frank. That Frank is here because of his devotion to his men. But you, the reader, learn through Frank's actions. Maybe not. Maybe Yeah, that maybe his men back. aren't the reason. Right. Maybe Frank keeps coming back because Frank is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Frank wants to be here. Because Frank wants to be here. We get some, like, extreme fucking violence here. Uh, very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. Just a few pages of very few words, whole lot of violence. Shout out to uh, Derek, Ra Derek Robinson. Robertson. Uh, shout out to him because he. Woof. Yeah. We, we got eyeballs bulging out. We got people's brains. But it, it doesn't seem to be voyeuristic. Right. You know, and it, it, because I think that. You know, I love Garth Ennis's collaborations with Steve Dillon, um, but I do think that those collaborations lead it to a more of an absurdist direction, like in Preacher or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, this is whereas, just like, hey, what does war look like? Yeah, and and it's worth noting that earlier this year I actually read uh, Bloods, right, which is a, a really fascinating book. Uh, it's it's written like Studs Terkel style, where it's a journalist going and speaking with people, no editorializing nothing it's just him transcribing their story yeah it doesn't even it, it he doesn't even list his questions to them it's just this is them talking to you mm -hmm. uh and this story is about black vietnam war veterans right mm -hmm. and just them just telling them this is my experience right? right uh no other context take it for what you will this is what it is and i got a similar feeling from this in that they're not trying to beat you over the head with anything in particular. They're just telling you flatly that this is what these characters experience. This is what these people experience. Yeah. And um, I was going to say, just there's just brains flying all over the place. It's like fucking Arn Anderson was just, <laughs> was just here. And they, tried to, they tried to pull up on Arn Anderson at a top line. <laughs> Why did he say that? Oh, I, I just I think about that fucking promo every day. Arn Anderson saying, "I pull out the Glock, spill his brains all over the concrete." Like what the fuck? Leave it to you to to bring in a wrestling reference to something like this. Oh, I mean, it's the way my brain works. That's the undiagnosed ADHD, you know. Hey, I'm not blaming you. I said the word brains, and then I just see Arn Anderson's face. I see Arn Anderson's face frequently. It's okay. <laughs> Always thinking about it. <laughs> just that, like football coach, just really frightening energy going yeah. on. Of course. Like, what, what are we doing, Art? 
Anyway, uh, this dude Tidro, uh, he's not important, but I would like to, to highlight him. He throws this grenade like a football mm-hmm. and just blows this poor guy to hell. Like, you don't mm-hmm. even see it happen. You just see Stevie look away in horror. And yeah. while everyone else is, like, grinning and smiling, like, ah, you got that fucker good. Like, Stevie's like, what are we doing, man? I'm actually really glad you brought that up. Because, and, you know, pardon me, I, I'm going to get into some more deeper kind of nonsense than is necessary, necessarily. But, you know, the... The thing about this story is that it does lend itself to some actual, like, human critiques. And I think that that character is interesting, and that moment is interesting. Because it would be easy to identify that moment and that character as somebody like Frank, because he's loving what he's doing. Yeah. But I I think there's a certain nihilism to the rest of the troops, whereas Frank is a consummate soldier. Yeah, these guys are like, none of this shit fucking matters, whatever. Yeah, it's the nihilism for the rest of them, and it's a sense of purpose for Frank. Now, the sense of purpose itself remains ambiguous for for a good stretch in this arc. Yeah. Um, Speaking of, I don't know, ambiguousness is kind of the word here, but we get some more really good narration from Stevie, who is talking about how... He starts talking about the good America, the real America. Stevie is still this idealist who believes that this is not... He's the guy who, every time something horrible happens, tweets, this is not who we are. And <laughs> this story is really him coming to grips with, no, no, it is. Yes, um, yes. And that that's a good point. And it really makes... It really reframes Frank as the actual face of what we're doing here, rather than Stevie. Stevie is not who we are. Frank is who we are. Right. Stevie desperately wants to believe that we are better than this, and Frank is a reminder that no, we are not. Right, and and it's not, it's not the rest of them that engage in this nihilistic sort of carnival of violence. It's this very professional, very focused, very dedicated instrument of violence, like Frank. Right. Um, Stevie's like, I'm never, ever going to tell my kids about this. I I mm-hmm. refuse to ever let my children know what I participated in, what I engaged in, I, I, I cannot tell them the things I've seen. Uh, Frank, gives his re- uh, Frank gives his report to, uh, to his very drunk, uh, quote-unquote, sick um, commanding officer, who's just like, ah, General Patton's on his way. Uh, I, got, I got malaria. I'm not up to any of this shit. (laughs) No, I think he says something like, I will have malaria by the time he arrives. He says, I'll be sick. Yeah, he says, I'll be sick by the time he gets here. Malaria again. I just won't be up to it. Right. Right. (laughs) Which is code for, Frank, I'm going to get shit-faced. Right. And and it really touches on something that was such a problem in, in the Vietnam War, and I think probably in modern wars too, from what I've heard, which is that the officers themselves are useless. Because they're not trained for war. They're trained to sit in an office and make decisions about war, which right. is very different. Right. Yeah, they're all Cole Phelps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, hey, you got an hour before Patton shows up. Get the place ready. Uh, and so the general shows up and is like, this fucking, what are you guys doing here? 
What is mm-hmm. the what is the point of this shit? He he says, uh, "Well, Castle, whatever your name is, when when uh, when Colonel Ottman crawls out from his under his rock, you can tell him his command is a disgrace." In the short time I've been here, I've seen bunkers left unmanned and sorely in need of repairs. I've seen artillery pieces covered in filth and rust. I've seen blatant abuse of marijuana cigarettes. To say nothing of the reports we've been getting that to paint this place as the heroin capital of i And barely one in ten of the Marines I've seen here seems to know that they're supposed to salute an officer. A senior officer at that. Now, why the hell has nothing been done to rectify the situation? Why is Firebase Valley Forge... A complete and total fuck story. Again, uh, somebody who is a senior officer who is not prepared for the reality of what they're in. Also, that, he, this man is five foot five. I should add. I love that. I love that little touch. <laughs> that this is a tiny, tiny little man. Um, but it's a it's it's a good summation again of what we're facing, and I think that. Ennis does a really good job here of showing the commanding officers here as people who are not prepared. And, and really, in a similar way as Stevie, right? Yeah. Like These are people who are not ready to accept what they're actually doing, right? Yeah. Um, so I can't... Well, what, what's the colonel's name again? The commanding officer of Castle? Uh, colonel Ottman. Ottman. Okay, so Ottman chases away all of this with the delusion that he can just sort of pass through this. That he can just remain drunk... And be derelict in his duties, and eventually, and I can just make Frank do it. He can make Frank do it. There's somebody else who can handle it. He doesn't have any interest or will to do it. Uh, The general has this idea that this is World War II. It's all pageantry. We're actually in this for a good cause. You know, the the stars and stripes and patriotism should be enough to motivate the men. Uh, And of course, Stevie, back to our point of view guy, uh, is also delusional in the way that you said, where he believes in this sort of fictional fantasy leave it to beaver world that he's fighting for uh and and they're all delusions and and i think that there's in stevie's case it's a lot more subtle but those are all similar characters i think yeah yeah um and so frank tells frank tells the uh the general here dude the last guy who tried to fix this shit ended up with a claymore in his bed we're not Mm -hmm. you got blown up and we're this shit is fucked, okay? And he's like, we're gonna get rid of this fucking base. And he's like, we're the only U.S. outpost left watching Cambodia. Everyone else has been sent home. Who's gonna keep an eye on the enemy? Who's gonna interdict his line of, lines of supply? If he comes in strength, who's going to stop him from cutting the country in half? And he's like, what the fuck? What happens here is about to be moot. This conflict and our involvement in it are all but at an end. Alright? This shit's not gonna be your concern. And Frank F- Frank scowls hard at this, and he's not happy about it. And he says, look, General, come with me. I'll show you inconvertible evidence that Firebase Valley Forge has to remain open. And the General's like, fucking fine, whatever. <laughs> and Frank leads him up to this ridge. And he says, you, you can see it better from there. He's like, see what? He says, if you go to the end of the ridge, you'll see what I mean. And... He goes up there, and before anything happens, we see a uh, a sign that says, Danger, sniper at work, dawn to dusk, and then, that. Yep. Yep, it's, and then the general's gone. And then the general, that's how you fix that. That's how you keep and, your base open. 
I really like this because, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I feel like this story is one that maybe isn't best served by going, you know, line for line, panel for panel necessarily because there's there's a lot of rich themes being played with here. Um, but Frank later on refuses to frag his commanding officer. And for those listening who don't know, fragging is, of course, the practice of a lower-ranked soldier or lower-ranked officer uh, killing their superior officers, usually with a grenade or, as referenced here, a claymore mine, um, to make it look like an accident or remove any evidence, right? And so he refuses to do that. Just like in this moment, he re- he wants this general dead, but he refuses to actually kill the general, right? Yeah. Yeah, he makes somebody else do it. Right. He lets, um, and I should say, he lets an unwitting participant do it. Right. And and I think that means something, too, which is that I think, hmm, and this just occurred to me, that part of Frank's character is that he must convince himself that what he's doing is justified. Yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And that's, like, a consistent thing with him. Um because he's like that in Civil War, too, where he fucks up all those criminals who have switched sides. And he's like, well, they're criminals. They're bad people. And Cap's like, they mm-hmm. fucking, they, what are you doing? And then when Cap whoops his ass, he's like, I can't fight, fight you back. I respect you too much. It's like, you fucking asshole, Frank. There must be a legitimate use of force. I think that's the one thing that goes through... With Frank, and really most superheroes, let's be honest, yeah. is that they have to find a way to legitimize the violence. Right. The difference is, a lot of times, with other superheroes, it justifies itself. Mm-hmm. Like, Spider-Man doesn't bait people into fighting him so that he can blow their head off with his super strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank looks for a reason and then escalates to the most violent solution instantly. He looks for a reason. That's a good way to put that. Yeah. Um, this is... Uh, my note for this was that... This is like in... Uh, it's like in Fallout New Vegas. When you can... When Boone's looking for who killed his wife. Yep. Yep. And you can just lead somebody <laughs> just out. Lead somebody He'll take out. care of the rest. Yeah. Put this hat on. He'll take care of the ah. rest. Yeah. Technically, you didn't do it. Right. Um, but yeah. Carry us through. Carry us through. Uh so the uh, so they everyone else just thinks, wow, the general just couldn't fucking read, huh? <laughs> what an idiot! <laughs> and Stevie just kind of stares out at Frank. Um. Uh, while I think we're, I think this dude's name is Angel, Stevie's friend here. Uh, uh, the black guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's Angel. Yeah. So, like. Angel's trying to talk to him, and Stevie's just looking, stare, staring out at Frank. And then we get the first of these these black narration boxes talking to Frank. And it's is the first of it, and I, I guess we'll get into it here. What do you think that this that this narration is like? Who do you think that is talking to Frank? And I think that. You know, again, Frank is always looking for a legitimate reason to use violence, right? Right. And that is a dialectical exchange. That's something that you have to think about as as a synthesis. 
you know, you're trying to come to a synthesis between two opposing points, right? Frank's understanding that he has to do something legitimate, right? That he, he is, at his core, a soldier. And as a soldier, he is ready to do violence, but he must do it in a legitimate fashion, for legitimate reasons. Whereas there's another part of him that just loves the violence itself, right? right? And so this, this story is Frank going through this dialectical exchange with himself trying to find a way to to meld those two parts of him right and so what we get throughout the story is him finding more and more reasons to give in to the quote-unquote darker self right it's not it's not some possessed like not a demon talking yeah. to him okay. it's That's... it's it's two pieces of himself that he will not allow to coexist that is exactly um like, that's a lot better way of how I was thinking of it, um, because people have theorized that that is Mephisto talking to him. It's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have theorized that that's Ares talking to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, to me, that is Frank's, that's the part of him that is the Punisher talking to the part of him that is Frank Castle. Mm-hmm. And and I would I would slightly modify that to say that the Punisher is the synthesis. Yes. Right. That the Punisher, who he becomes by the end of this story, or who he is about to become by the end of this story, uh, is him finally finding a way to meld those two pieces of himself, the consummate soldier and, you know, the personification of death, yeah, basically. Just fucking war machine. Just someone who revels in death and violence. Uh, he is trying to find a way to make those coexist, and this story is him finding that way yes um issue two opens with uh with stevie finding angel getting a higher than shit uh and some casual racism from the other guys in the barrack casual really (laughs) (laughs) i say casual for how lightly they drop it that's that's fair. Yeah, it, it's casually not, deployed violence. Yeah, it does not come off like something that this guy had to think about saying. When this is like this is just what he calls him. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He, he refers to, uh, to to Angel as a jungle bunny. Now that's some that's some old school that's old seventies racism. Yeah, that's... I don't know if I've ever heard that deployed in a in a serious fashion. Right, and I am I am from the south. Yeah, I'll like say you <laughs> in the country, and I have yet to hear you're that seriously deployed. You're out there with the Guthries. <laughs> I am indeed. I'm in Hatfield McCoy territory, <laughs> hanging out with Cannonball and That's a right. Husk. That's right. Uh, they are ostensibly going to cut him with a razor. I should add the dude who is trying to grab Angel. Is uh, he looks like Brian Knobs <laughs> of the Nasty Boys? See, I had not considered that uh, as a possibility. How do you? Okay, I'm not even gonna ask because oh, my, my brain I'm, is an encyclopedia of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, how does that even connect with you reading this? Because I would, yeah. All right, well, I'm impressed went, with your brain. My brain just went. Who's the grossest motherfucker you could think of? The Nasty Boys. The Nasty clearly. Boys, yes. Who else? Uh, uh, 
and yeah, we get some some cat, so you know, casually deployed homophobia. That's fun. Uh, so what what we get here is some more narration from Stevie explaining Angel's deal. Uh, Captain Castle. Captain Castle cuts no one any slack. A junkie cannot shoot straight, after all. But Angel can. Angel just shoots better high, I guess. I don't know. I guess so. But I will say that this is a, you know, Angel, and we'll get more into the specifics of the plot later, sure. But Angel is sort of established, like a lot of these people, other than Stevie. Stevie is really the only one who is, other than Frank, really, who is actively resisting nihilism. Mm-hmm. Um, that they are really trying to find a way to find a purpose. Find a uh, right. Whereas Angel, uh, it, it, it's it's a good use of an archetype. Really, all of the characters in the story are, are archetypes. If you have read anything or seen anything about the Vietnam War, you have seen these characters before. Right. Um, but they're deployed well, and Angel is sort of the classic picture of the far-too-young-to-be-here black man who yeah. is really boy i mean he's a young he's he's probably not even 18 because that happened a lot where like yeah. these young boys would find themselves going to war because they had no nothing else to do um and I, you get the the feeling that angel is that character uh and you could easily say that he's just there to be a foil for stevie's uh unfounded optimism um Which definitely is part of it Definitely part of it, but I don't think that... I think that Ennis does a good job of, of making Angel a real person and not just there to serve the purpose of making Stevie look like something else. Right. Um, we, we do get some, some reasons for everybody or, like, the reasons that they... have The reasoning they have found there... Uh, <clears throat> To fight the Viet Cong. Tidro likes to throw grenades at people. Which is not... I don't think you should open with that as this guy's rationale is that he likes to throw grenades at people. Well, maybe it is his rationale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. If you're trying to... Like, it's like, Tidro likes to throw grenades at people. McDonald has a bag of scalps. Uh, the captain is in love with ca- combat and I am here for Angel. Yeah, that this is something that he has found to, to grab onto is it's, this other person. Right. right. Yeah. This other person he, that he can care about. Yes. Yes. Uh, he says, uh, I could get out of this, of course. Sit out of my 38 days uh, with, with the others on the base. No one would stop me. No one cares. But instead, I stay with the platoon. Uh, so he must have a purpose. Right. Some of us are here for our brothers. Some, are here, some of us are here for our horror stories. Some of us even still believe in duty. Americans through the living, looking glass lost in Vietnam. Uh, yeah. And, and then uh, it goes sideways very quickly. Tidro gets shot in the fucking neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, another firefight. Um, Castle takes care of it, no problem. Uh, just just picking up an M60 and just and going just, to town. Just going totally fucking berserk. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the war has bred a saying oft-repeated, payback is a motherfucker. At Valley Forge, we have another. If you think payback's bad, you haven't met Frank Castle. Right. Um, yeah, and and that's sort of the other thing, is that I think Frank gives in to his violent nature because he has legitimized it as revenge. 
Right, he thinks of himself as being like the instrument of vengeance. Yeah, and and this uh, brings us to even. Well, yeah, this brings us to the punishment, right? I mean, is this the the scene with this the female being hung? Yes. Okay. Who uh, tries to kill herself? Uh, they stop her, find out, oh, figure out, oh, this is a woman, and then if this gross piece of shit McDonald uh, tries to rape her. Uh, I don't think try else, is. Well, I say try because he. He get he climbs on and then Frank puts a stop to it, and he puts a stop to it by shooting by the shooting the yeah shooting the her in the back of the head, and he says that we are here to kill the enemy, right? Yeah. Um, again, legitimate use of violence. He is not there for wanton violence, which is how he sees what McDonald is doing as this wanton act of pure violence for its own sake. Yeah, um, he's not here for that. He is here for legitimate violence as he views right. it. Um, but then, you want to take us to the part that I, is... I will. Uh, uh, so Stevie, Go ahead. Stevie is just totally fucking skeeved out, totally upset. He he wants to go home. He He's so fucking over it. Uh, McDonald goes to wash his face, which is covered in this woman's blood, uh, in a river. And Stevie happens to look over and see him. Frank walks up behind McDonald and just puts his boot on the back of his head and holds it there and holds it there and holds it there and holds it there and then McDonald's until there are no more bubbles until there are no more bubbles and then he just kicks him on into the water and leaves him yep and it's like wow we couldn't find McDonald nobody knows what happened to him right Stevie knows Stevie knows and Frank knows that Stevie knows Frank knows that Stevie knows and that worries Stevie Right, and and he goes as far to tell Frank because Frank confronts him. Right, this is this is basically the next scene where Frank yeah. confronts him and says, "You know, why didn't you say anything? You know, you saw that, so why didn't you say anything to anybody else?" Because I'm fucking scared of you. Man. I'm scared of him. And what does Frank say? You have no reason to be scared of me. You don't have to be scared of me. And that right there is again. I'm beating a dead horse here, but it just ties back to that legitimacy that he does not see Stevie as a target for punishment because right. Stevie does not deserve it in he Frank's sees Stevie eye. He as a good man. Right, because he sees, sees Stevie as a dutiful soldier. And to Frank, the duty part of it is what keeps him from legitimizing the violence. And he even says, you know, when Stevie asks him, why'd you do it? And Frank said that he needed to be punished. Yes, yeah, I wanted to punish him. What about yep. the girl? He says, I, don't be stupid. I put a VC sniper on a medevac, and nobody ever trusts me ever again. Mm-hmm. I, I hand over to Intel, and she doesn't tell them shit. They do the same thing, and then they kill her. And on the panel where he says, you don't have to be scared of me, there's like an unsaid... Like, a lot of times comic books will play with... Uh, will play with the emphasis on words i don't think this book does that a single time but no it the really emphasis doesn't. is often on like it does it in the narration uh but that's really it um but i feel like there's an unspoken emphasis on the word you here yes where it's not you don't have to be scared of me it's you don't have to be scared of me 
I think you're right. And, and I'm, I'm really glad you pointed that out because I think that's, that's the point is that these rest of these people should be scared of Frank. Right. People like McDonald right. should be afraid of him. But Stevie has no, has no reason to be. Right. Um, issue three opens with, again, you're just, you're giving the game away, Stevie. We cannot lose in Vietnam. Oh, I think you can. I think you can and you will. <laughs> At least... Mm, okay, continue, because I have thoughts. <laughs> you know I'm a dork, all right? So, like, yeah. I, I, I do the politics stuff. Right. I do the history stuff. So, you, you take us through this, because I have thoughts. Yeah, he says, we cannot lose in Vietnam, try as we might. Though our generals are so stupid, our strategy so poor, as to all but guarantee defeat. Though our morale is trampled in the deepest ditch, shot through with heroin and bitter failure. Though we face the toughest, bravest fighters in the world, strange little men with hearts like those of tigers. Though we make the world despise us, though we do things that will stain our souls forever. Though America eats its own intestines over this, cities riven with unrest, leaders inspiring loathing and distrust, we cannot lose. Because when we are gone, when the brave little fighters kick us out and we finally lose all stomach for this wretched knotted puzzle of a war no one no one in southeast asia or anywhere on earth will look at what's left of vietnam and think that it is smart to fuck with the united states and then stevie right. says to to angel why can't we stay out of the rest of the world great question great question i've been asking that question since i was like 13 yeah um <laughs> again hey so you're you're roughly my age, right? Yeah, yeah, we're the same. Yeah. Yes. So I'm in I'm going into my late twenties, um, which means that I was a child during nine eleven, and I was right. a child when the Iraq War started. So the only thing I've ever known is sort of senseless violence, right? And imperial conquests, sometimes legitimized only in a cir- in a circular way, right? We do it because we can, and we can because we do it, right? Right. And so. It's important to really look into the history of the Vietnam War and in the history of this era of American foreign policy. And there were indeed some people in the military and in the industrial uh, or the intelligence community who legitimately were ardent anti-communists. That's why they were doing it, right? They wanted to go to Vietnam because the French had been kicked out of Vietnam Vietnam was trying to build itself up. Heck, Ho Chi Minh, all right, so the leader of the communist forces in Vietnam, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but when they first kicked the French out, he actually appealed to the United States as the communist and said, we want to do what you Americans did. We want to kick out our oppressors so we can raise ourselves up like you Americans did, right? That was their intention. Now, you could say he was just saying that. But that was indeed the purpose behind a lot of Southeast Asian um, uh, independence movements, the the nationalist movements, not nationalists like white nationalists, but like building up their countries from the rubble of being colonized. Um, And so the reason we were there was indeed to stop communism for some people, but not for everybody. And for a lot of people, Stevie's right. That we really couldn't lose because the purpose was not to win. The, the purpose, purpose was to send a fucking message. Yeah, the purpose was to send a message that you will not spread communism to our borders. Because that was indeed the fear 
for a lot of people that if we kept letting it spread like a, they thought of it like a germ theory that if like right. if vietnam falls then that means everything south of vietnam falls and that means it'll move to the east and the next thing you know they're on the borders of california um i wish people thought of actual germs that way there's a little timely covid reference when people listen to this 20 <laughs> years from now they're gonna know when it was recorded <laughs> uh but so we get some shots of uh, Frank talking to Colonel Ottman and he's like Colonel Ottman's like we need to get the fuck out of here man I haven't requested right. resupply you're the only one who hasn't noticed no one cares about this place least of all the enemy everyone knows the war is almost over we get to go home soon uh, all we have to do is just shut the fuck up <laughs> Mm-hmm. And Frank says, this could be a bad time to not rock the boat, Ottman. So weather like this is perfect for the enemy. I've, been, I've told you the kind of activity we've been seeing lately. Uh, and Ottman's like, I'm going to go take a shit. So, great, great scene for a lot of reasons. One, it's just good reading. Like, the majority of this. Like, I, you know, I've been talking about the sort of, like, broader like ideological and political thrust of this story because there's a lot there yes um but it's it, this is a great read for anybody if you've got the stomach for it yes. um but i will say that this scene really really finely encapsulates two different perspectives on the ground of the vietnam war as i understand it because if you read stories of these vietnamese soldiers or these american soldiers in vietnam these are the two different perspectives they're either people who are there because it's a job and this is their job i'm just going to do this it looks like shit all right fine here. i have short-term syndrome like all right i'm gonna be out of here in a month anyway so who gives a shit um or you had the people who legitimately cared about winning for one reason or another uh and they believed that they could have won quote unquote whatever that really means um if they had just had the leash taken off of them Right. So I mentioned that story, that book, Bloods, right? It's great. Everybody should read it. It's very good. Um, a lot of those soldiers said that they really cared about winning the war and they only lost because of the politics behind it because they felt that the American public and that the American political system could not stomach what it would take to win that war. It would take people like Frank, not people right. like Otten. And they were not ready to make people like Frank the face of that war. Yeah. Because then you lose 100% of public sentiment. And right. A- any goodwill you have, you throw away by putting somebody like Frank Castle as the face of your war. Correct. Correct. But uh, you know what? He he was the kind of person who could win it. They could yeah. have just said, fine, burn everything down, use every ounce of your ability to just kill and kill and kill and kill until you have beaten them into submission. That probably would have worked, frankly. Um, but it didn't, because right. it couldn't. Right. Um, Frank thinks real hard about killing Ottman here. <laughs> he pulls a grenade out, starts to pull the pin, and then doesn't. And he won't. And he, he, won't. And he won't, which goes back to your point. Frank, for all the stomach he has for violence, cannot bring himself to do it. Right. Um that being said, the face he makes here, it reminds me of, you know that panel where the Joker's looking at that monkey? 
It's it looks exactly like that. More of your like little ADHD brain of just piecing <laughs> these things together. I love it. He's just I like like you know the panel I'm thinking about, right? Where the Joker's looking back at that monkey and the monkey's looking back at the Joker. Mm-hmm. It's exactly mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and Frank walks off, and that that author Frank in his mind starts talking. No one would have known. No one would have cared. You'd be acting commander, right? When the grunts here need you most. Because that's what it's all about, right, Frank? The lives of your men, the security of the base, protecting i from NVA incursion. You have to do your job, and if some prick likes Ottman gets in the way, then anything is justified. Justified. That's right. And I think what we're seeing there, and I didn't piece this together until you brought this up, so thank you. Um, that That voice, we're seeing more of this sort of dialectical relationship here. The voice is appealing to the part of Frank that's still in control, right? Yes. It's appealing to the soldier. Yes. And then what it does, too, is that in the next panel, it says, nah, that's all it is. No more than that. Nothing like maybe, well, for instance, you just wanted to fry that bastard. Mm -hmm. Making you wonder, is it, Frank, the way you kill at the drop of a hat? General Patton, McDonald, only yesterday, very nearly Ottman, too. And every one of them deserved it. That's what got you worried? The urge you hate to give every motherfucker in the world exactly what they deserve? Because you can, Frank. You can. I keep telling you, you, I can fix it for you if only you'll say the word. You can kill every single one of them. That's the gift I'll give you. It can be yours. Frank is reconciling with the fact that he does just enjoy violence. He -hmm. enjoys playing judge, jury, and executioner. He is this fundamentally fucked up person. And he's so tightly wound. I mean, that's the thing in this whole in this whole story. You can see that the artists really put some work into portraying Frank, not just as a professional soldier acting as a professional soldier would in an ideal world, um, but as a man who is tightly wound for another reason. That this is a man who is quite literally at war with himself, trying to figure out which part of him is going to come out and be the supreme version of himself. Right, and... He, he goes and talks to Stevie, which I think is interesting, because as he is trying to pull himself back from the brink, who does he go to but the most grounded, level-headed person at Firebase Valley Forge? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Literally the most sober-minded person. Yes. I mean, literally the, and figuratively. The most even-keeled person imaginable, Stevie Goodwin. Uh, and he says... Not... Uh, you know, he talks to Stevie about what he's doing, and he's like, look, not enough of the grunts here do what you're doing. He's like, not enough of the grunts here want to go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, I got a family, good one. Which, this is the first time Steve, uh, that Frank has mentioned uh, Maria and little Frank Jr., and I forgot what his daughter's name is. Uh, That's misogyny. Always... Well, the thing is, like I said, <laughs> in my brain, I always think about Thomas Jane Punisher, and he doesn't have a daughter in that. He just has little Frank Jr. Right. Right. Uh, who is much older there. Um, and he's like, well, you know, Captain, I, I'm, uh, that's great. I, I really gives you something to look forward to, to stay alive for. Uh, and then uh, he notices Angel and Stevie goes off to help him. And then the voice in Frank's head is like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why are you trying so hard to pretend that you're regular? 
That last chance shit to deny who you really are, is that what you mean? I'm your last chance, Frank, to be what you want to be. Uh, and so Stevie goes, hits Coltrane, that the fucking nasty boy, hits him in the face with his rifle, grabs Angel. And as he walks up, I have a note for this. I posted this on Twitter with just the caption, Eddie Kingston. Because <laughs> he, he walks past uh, the dude Garcia and just goes, fuck off, Garcia. <laughs> That's every episode of AEW Dynamite, baby. That's right. That's right. Eddie Kingston telling Daniel Garcia to fuck off. Beautiful. Uh, you know what? If anybody in wrestling should be allowed to say fuck, it's Eddie Kingston. <laughs> I feel like that should be a necessity, not just allowed. Like, if I was running my own organization, that would be a part of every episode. You'd get it once an episode. So Eddie Keys says, hey, go fuck yourself, partner. Every time. That's that's the money right that's there. That's his catchphrase. It's money. Um, and so uh, Angel is, you know, high on heroin and... Uh, Stevie goes, hey, I thought you were going to stay off that. He says, oh, fuck you, Stevie. <laughs> says, Angel, you're down to to two, you know, you're almost out of here, man. You got far too much to live for. He's like, hey, how the fuck you know that? You got too much to live for. You got college and a job and the motherfucking girl next door ready to spread her pussy for you. You're going to live like Ozzy and Harriet. All I got waiting for me is a ghetto full of death. And we said this last time, smoking is the fucking coolest thing you can do. He looks Easily. so fucking cool here. The cigarette oh, yeah. hanging out of his mouth, just telling him to fuck himself. Yeah, and and again, I mean, this this is a well-worn archetype of of sort of the young man or old boy uh, African American soldier in Vietnam, or really any, or but yeah. mostly in Vietnam. Yeah, Vietnam is um, really where you, depictions of the Vietnam War is really where you see this the most. You don't really see mm-hmm. it so much in stuff that's set in like Iraq or. Um, like modern stuff right but it, you know it's the same thing it, and and it's also the reality check for stevie that this sort of like idealized america is not real that yeah. and not only is frank a picture of the real face of america but so is angel yes that the, the world that he might not be familiar with because like we never learn where stevie's from but we kind of get the idea that of like the kind of place he's from and we kind of get an idea of the kind of place that angels from these two people would never interact outside of this right right especially stevie cares about angel right but like in a especially in a pre-internet world these two people would never meet their paths would never cross and so as a result stevie has no idea what it's like to be angel what it's like to be from the background he's from, to be a black man in America in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm. You know, and he's trying to reconcile that with the fact that... And it, it, again, it just goes to show that, that Stevie's the only one who doesn't feel the nihilism here. Yeah. Because Stevie's the one who has, quote-unquote, something to live for. Now, they all find something to live for here. Right. But you know, Stevie's, it's just not... Stevie's something to live for is whatever he'll find when he gets home. Right. And that's the difference. He has something to live for after the war. The rest of them don't have anything to live for outside of the war. Right. Uh, And Angel tells him, he's like, Steve, you are so full of shit. I keep hearing you talking about this idea you got, the real America. It's a fucking dream, man. It belongs in the 30s, the 20s. Fuck the wild motherfucking West. 
And he's just telling him, like, the idea... I feel like this is a conversation that a lot of people have had in recent years. Again, Stevie is the guy going, this isn't who we are. And Angel is the guy telling him, yes, the fuck it is. This is absolutely who we are. This is just what America does. And that's um, that's really compelling that this came out in 2003, yes. right? Because if this had come out 10 years before that, like roughly around the time of the L.A. riots and Rodney King that would have made a lot of sense. If it happened now, that would make a lot of sense, right? In the 60s, that would have made a lot of sense. But it feels very smart of Ennis to actually think about that time period and not do this anachronistic thing of him just putting the ideology of 2003 back into 1971, right? right? He nails the 1971 here. Absolutely. Um, And the issue ends, issue three does, with... uh with holy shit frank was right uh because they get fucking bombed mm-hmm. and we get this is maybe some of my favorite narration ever from stevie he says there's a great beast loose in the world of men it awoke in dark times to fight a terrible enemy it stormed through europe across the far pacific and it crushed the evil that it found there underfoot but when it was victorious when the crooked cross and the rising sun were done with, the great beast keepers found that it would not go back to sleep. The beast has many many heads, and on its heads are written names. Lockheed, Bell, Monsanto, Dow, Grumman, Colt, and many more. And they are very, very hungry. So the great beast must be fed. In every generation, our country goes to war to do just that. A war for war's sake, usually and one that could have been avoided. But there must be blood in extraordinary quantities, and whether it is foreign or American is of no consequence at all. And so today, at Firebase Valley Forge, our turn has finally arrived. Today is the day we feed the beast. Yeah, man, that right there... (sighs) That's good shit! That's some good shit. And it's something that, you know, I thought this was interesting because I didn't... When I read that, I don't think of Stevie. No. I, you know, and I understand that, you know, it is our turn to feed the beast. Yes. But I, I, I still cannot, I can't wrap my head around that being Stevie specifically Stevie, thinking. That. Stevie thinking about the military industrial complex and what it does to people domestically and abroad does not feel like that character, but fuck it. Right. That's such a brilliant piece of writing. So, so that's. You know, I don't want to hang us up too much because I know we're probably running low on time. But mm-hmm. I do want to ask, do you think that Stevie was thinking that? Or do you think that this is some sort of, I don't know, like almost omniscient, maybe like a, almost not even spiritual, but you know, like a, a sort of group consciousness or something beyond the self. Because when I read that, I think that this is Stevie, but elevated, right? That Stevie yes. doesn't think these directly. He just feels it. He feels it. It feels like something that somebody might have said to him at some point, and he kind of buried subconsciously. And now yeah. it, he's just like, oh, this is what they meant. This revelation. That's what yeah. it feels like, a revelation. It's not something that he's sitting there thinking like, hmm, this is the military-industrial complex. This is this is like God smacking him in the face and saying, this is what it is, Stevie. Yeah. Now you know. Uh, and uh, we get right into it. <clears throat> Again, just totally gruesome fucking, just 
War is Hell is the general theme of this book. And this first splash page with the title on it uh, really, really drives that in. Of just, just blood and fire and death. Um, it looks like hell. Literally. It looks. It looks like hell. It just looks like a doom level. Um. So they they come into you know, hey, Captain, we gotta we gotta get to somebody. We can't reach anybody at HQ. Colonel Ottman says we can't use the radio. He's saying don't rock the boat over and over. And Frank just says shoot him. If I can get this guy out of here. Uh, and that's and Frank. That's, that's not Frank the saying, voice. Right. That's it not is just the voice. Frank Castle looks at looks at whoever says that and says, fucking shoot Otman. Get him out yes. of here. Uh and then uh Angel is trying hard to he's just shooting at he's shooting back at them. Stevie tries to pull him back. He says, Angel, for God's sake. And he says, there ain't no God, fool. Look around you. There ain't no motherfucking God. And then gets his fucking head blown off. Very abrupt. In that moment. Just in that moment. Gone. His last words are, there ain't no motherfucking God. Yeah. Again, I love that. I I really loved that moment. Um, Because, again, this could be a case of Angel being a prop that's only written so that we can see more about Stevie. Mm-hmm. Um, which would be lazy writing and frankly a little bit racist to just use like the black character to uh, explicate something out of the white character. Yeah. Um, but I, I again, I don't, I don't really feel. Maybe this is wishful thinking, but I, I don't really feel exactly that's what this is. I think that he's really just 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 showing this is where this person is. This is this is a legitimate rational reaction to what's happening. Right, and this is how he experiences this. His experience here, his the the primary emotion he is feeling here, uh, he's feeling two things: rage and despair, and mm-hmm. war is hell. Mm-hmm. It helps, I think, it to not be the weird kind of. I don't want to say fridging because it feels weird to say fridging in reference to a male character, but right. it avoids kind of the pitfalls of this character exists to propel another character's story. But through virtue of the fact that, like, fucking everybody is dying here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because then on the next page, or two, a couple pages later, um, Stevie gets grabbed by Coltrane again, who is trying to fucking scalp him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then Frank hits him in the back of the head with a shovel. Brains him. Just, just totally takes him out. Problem dealt with. Um, I, they get to the they get to where the radio is. Ottman is dead. The radio is shot. Or actually, they don't even Ottman make. Ottman killed himself. To uh, be clear. yes, Ottman. Yeah, Ottman killed himself. The radio is fucked. Um, and so Stevie is trying to make it out. Uh, inter- and unfortunately for him, this is the end of of our our dear friend Stevie Goodwin as a. Literal man on fire rushes him with the bayonet. Uh, we don't see Stevie die. We know that Stevie dies, but we don't see it happen. Uh, he gets grabbed by a hand that throws him onto a plane. Uh, and then we see here that, oh, he's he's definitely dead. Um, yes. Because he he's grabbed and he's sitting on the plane. 
and all of these uh, all of these stewardesses, which he harped on earlier. He's talking about the stewardesses on the big freedom bird back home. Uh, grab him or are doting on him. They're just, Stevie, Stevie, Stevie. Uh, and he cries and he's like, you made it, you silly son of a bitch. And it whites out. Uh, back to Frank. Uh, blood and death. Violence. The voice in the back of head, his head is talking. Time to shit or get off the, f- the pot, Frank. You've been hit three times now. Four. You'll burn out the barrel on that thing any second. I can help you, but you have to say the word. You know you want to. Three tours in Nam, Frank. Seeking without realizing. End of the nightmare again and again. What was it that kept you coming back? What else would you be looking for but this? I can give it to you, Frank. There'll be a price, but nothing's free. Say no, and you're one more KIA on a hill that nobody cared about to start uh, cared about to start with. Say yes, and I'll give you what you've wanted all these years. But you have to say it. Say it. Say it. A war that lasts forever. A war that never ends. But you have to say the word, Frank. And Frank, we get this real close-up sh- uh, look at Frank here. Uh, which, again, fucking incredible art. From, oh, fantastic. From, from Derek Robertson. Uh, he says, yes, as his forehead is covered in blood. He's spitting blood. Covered in blood and sweat and just... Grimacing through his teeth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it cuts to the next morning. Uh, reinforcements finally arrived. Everyone else is burned up in napalm. And Frank is just standing there. He looks... Like a husk. Yes, he looks totally unhinged here. He is covered in blood. He's been shot so many times. Bodies everywhere. Yeah, there's bodies everywhere. The... I didn't catch this before. The stock on his rifle is broken. Mm -hmm. uh, And covered in blood. Because I guess at some point he ran out of bullets and just started beating people with it. Yeah. He's uh, Samson with the jawbone of an ass. Yes. I remember that from Sunday school. <laughs> uh, and they're like, just get this guy the fuck out of here. We don't... Like, what the fuck happened here? What? Did, I was like, I don't know. I don't want to know. Let's get him on here. He's not our problem anymore. We can finish up and get out of here. Uh, and we just see just all the bodies. It's just total carnage. Frank is met... Uh, is met at the airport in his you know in in his dress uniform. Met at the uh, the airport by uh, his wife and kids. And she says, "Are you sure you don't need any help and you won't be going back?" He says, "I went as far as I ever want to go this time. I still don't really remember, but I'm never going back again. I, I'd be stupid to as long as I've got you guys. It took me far too long to realize that. And then." That voice pops back up. Frank? We haven't talked in a while, Frank. You've been so busy. Early discharge, a medal or two, a lot of shut the fuck up for a man who doesn't even care. But Valley Forge was so far beyond the normal run of clusterfucks, they don't want anybody talking. And the looks of on all those faces when you stepped off that Huey, well... Anyway, down to business. You said yes to my offer, Frank, and I delivered. Not every day you beat two dozen men to death and soak up seven bullets, is it? And well, how can I put this? You remember I mentioned there'd be a price. And we get this shot of Frank's family uh, standing on the... Like, they're standing there on the Punisher logo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, this is something that could have been 
fuel for people thinking this is a supernatural thing. Oh, this thing. absolutely feels like it could be a supernatural thing. That's like, it could who be. am I? Let's say we're in the same line of what work, Frank. And I've been at it a lot, lot longer than you. Let's just say we'll be good friends. Although you'll never hear from me again, and you'll keep me busy doing what I like to do. Too late, Frank. Nothing you can do about it. Things have already been set in motion. Besides, in a moment or two, you'll have forgotten this little talk of ours entirely. Just enjoy what you've got for the short time you've got it. And let's just leave it at that. This absolutely could be a deal with the devil. It could be. But I still don't think it's a literal deal with the devil. Right. I think that this is him understanding that there's a price. His family is going to be in the way. That he has to let go of that part of himself now because he finally gave in to that part of himself um, that he had been fighting for so long. And now, again, synthesis, right? There were two parts of him that were in opposition that they could not coexist, but they had to exist. Some sort of friction had to force them together to become something new. And that new thing is the Punisher. The new thing is, dude who will be manipulated by the jackal into chasing Spider-Man around New York in a couple years. Well, we can't all bat a hundred. You can't bat a thousand, okay? Like, it just doesn't happen. I love that that's his first story, is that, like, he's like, well, Spider-Man's clearly some manner of a criminal. It's like, and you let the jackal tell you that? That, you know what? It was a different time. In a different, it's a different time. The Jackal, who looks like fucking Blanca from Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah, that's a trustworthy face right there. <laughs> you look at that guy and go, you know, yeah, I believe everything this guy's got to say. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, man, I really loved this. I thank you for humoring me with wanting to do this story. Had you read this before? No, no, this is the first time I'd read this. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that makes yeah. me feel better, too, because I... This is one of my favorite... Uh, runs that any writer has had and and you know Ennis gets all the love for some of the other things he's written but I still think that this is his best work uh, and I would love to continue I you know maybe I'll start looking for some other uh, arcs in this run because some of them get a little bit more um, silly let's say in well, Ennis so kind of way the, the, the thing is is you can only do real serious Punisher like here in this setting of yeah. him in the Anything else, it's like, what the fuck is this guy's problem? Somebody please, please get this man into therapy. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, hey, there's there's still some good stuff to be found in there. Um, and, and I still think that this is, as you said, I mean, this is the best way to show the Punisher. Uh, this is a great way to show the Vietnam War. Like, it's, it's actually a good depiction in many ways of, of the dynamics that went into the Vietnam War. Uh, especially on the micro scale. Yeah, soldiers um, who are forced to be there and officers who don't give a shit. Right, right. Um, and it just, I don't know, I just, I can't say enough good things about it, and I'm glad we got to talk about it. I'm glad that you uh, let me go through my sort of uh, geopolitical uh, rants on it. Yeah. Uh, uh, next time will be much different, because I'm making you read Sex Criminals again. <laughs> Yes. Which hell yes. Brief preview of that. If you've never read Sex Criminals, uh, dear listener, uh, Sex Criminals by Matt Fraction and Chip Zarsky is a story about two people who find out that they both have the superpower to stop time when they come, uh, and yep. they use that power to rob banks. <laughs> yep. It's Matt the Fraction. funniest shit I've ever read. 
Matt Fraction, the king, uh, one of my all-time favorite writers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that that is a a wonderful, wonderful uh, tale. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that, and and I will uh, think about some of the other things. Like uh, maybe we can do an episode on Miracle Man. I don't know. Oh, I don't shit. know if you've ever read that. Yeah, I fucking love Miracle Man. I actually, yeah. I really love Big Barda. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I love anything that Alan Moore has written. So. Um. Uh, not sorry. I was thinking of Mister Miracle. Ah, different, easy to get it confused. Different character. Uh, fuck. There are only so many words you can use to give a character a name. But yeah, fuck. Yeah. Alan Moore. I'm down with Alan Moore. Uh, Alan uh, Davis. Anything with Alan Moore or Alan Davis, I'm I'm here for. Um. So thank you all for joining us for the last. It's a shorter episode. We haven't. You know, I, the last episode was run three, almost four hours. So this is. <laughs> This will be a breath of, breath of fresh air for your audio feeds. Um, that This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us for this. Um, join me next week. This is going to be a weird one because usually these episodes go up on Monday or Tuesday. This episode will go up on Wednesday. Um, and then we'll have another episode either Monday or Tuesday of next week where uh, I will be joined by uh, my friend Jesse where we will talk about... Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl, uh, starring Stephanie Brown. So that's going to be... That's one of my favorite comics ever, about one of my favorite characters ever. So that's going to be so much fun to do. Um, But until then, uh, thank you guys for hanging out. Uh, Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.